invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, or you may want to follow along with the words that are printed in the bulletin. We, we've been in uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, longer than Paul was when he first went there, uh, and I hope to conclude within the next uh, two or three weeks. Uh, this closing few paragraphs are very rich with just a lot of practical instructions. And today I just want to look at the first few verses as we come to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and following. Hear God's word. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask now that this, your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, would teach, correct, rebuke, and instruct us in righteousness by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to remind you before we look at the text, at the end of the service on the days we have the Lord's Supper, there'll be deacons at the exits to receive a deacon's fund offering that is going to help the relief effort in Haiti with El Shaddai Ministries. A word that has become popular, or at least has been used a whole lot over the past couple of years, is the word reimagine. To reimagine is being used to recreate, to make over. And we've heard it applied to uh, reimagining education, reimagining medical care, reimagining law enforcement. And even probably for the past 10 years, there's been a reimagining of the church. Uh, and that is, takes the assumption that, well, the church, the local church, was always going to be in different places at different times. And so it's us, up to us to think, okay, how do we reimagine, how do we re recreate the church now in 2021 in this place? and that each place and each year, that age or generation has to decide that. Uh, but the Bible's clear that, that God left us some instructions about the local church. And we find these right here with these instructions the Apostle Paul was sending back to this young church in Thessalonica uh, that was probably no more than a year old at the maximum by the time he sent these instructions back to them. So let's look at the opening couple of verses of this passage to see some of these instructions that he gave. He begins, we won't look word by word by any means, but he begins with his favorite uh, address to fellow believers, and that is we ask you brothers, speaking there, not, not just men, but men and women and children, brothers in the Lord, fellow siblings in the Lord. It, it, Paul loved that. He used that almost 70 times 
with all of his writings in the New Testament. He uses brothers 27 times just in this letter alone. So he's referring to, to brothers and, and, and sisters as the family of God. Well, how do we enter that family? Well, we know from John chapter 1, we have these verses. He came, speaking of Jesus, to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we, we receive Jesus, and through that, we are made part of his family. And all of us enter by adoption. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, I grew up in a family where I had one sister. I had no brothers. And as a, a young boy, I always, I envied families that had brothers. Now, those that came from families with brothers didn't want any brothers, you know, by those that it seemed like at times. But I have many, I have a multitude of Christian brothers and sisters uh, as being part of God's forever family. Now, why is this important? I think it's very important today because it's not too unusual today to hear someone say, well, I love Jesus. I just not interested in the church. Uh, I love Jesus and I want to follow him, but I just don't have a, I have no regard for the church. And they may have reasons for why they've arrived at that conclusion. But we know in the New Testament, the church, the, the invisible church is all believers through all of time, but it is expressed in the local church, like First Presbyterian Church or, uh, you know, whatever other local church. So uh, we are the expression of the invisible church. And the New Testament calls the church the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, Though they were instructions to husbands, it applies to the church as well. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So the church invisible is the bride of Christ, but the local expression, the expression of that, the visible expression is a local church. So... If someone says, well, I love, love Christ, but not his church, would be like me meeting someone, Justin here. And I come move to Macon, and I, Justin and I meet, and I say, Justin, hey, I really like you. We've got a lot of common interests. Why don't we, I'd like to spend some time, let's get, get to know you better. And he says, well, fine, I'd like for you to meet my wife, Elizabeth. No, 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 no. I, I don't. I don't think I'd like Elizabeth. In fact, when we get together, I don't think I want you to mention Elizabeth. I don't want you to bring her with you. I just want to get to know you. Now, if Justin is any thinking person, he would be quite offended at that, right? And he would think, no, if you want to get to know me, my wife is part of me. It's, it's, a, it's a package deal. So to say, I love Jesus, but I just don't care for the church, would be like, Justin, I like you, but I don't want anything to do with your wife. So Paul, you see, gave these instructions right then to this young church uh, about 
being brothers and sisters in this family. Now, no churches are perfect. You don't have to remind me of that. Uh, sometimes when we hire, we have new administrative staff at the church, I will, in some cases, talk to them and say, now, have you been a Christian a long time? Yeah, I've been a Christian a long time. You ever been around churches a lot? Oh, yeah, I grew up in the church. You know that churches are filled with sinful people. We're all sinners, right? Yeah, I don't want you to lose your faith over this, but there may be some people that say things to you or do things. No, it's not that y'all are all mean. I mean, it's just we're all people. And I say, I don't want you to get disillusioned and, and, and lose your faith. I don't know what your expectations are. So even amidst that, Christ loves the church. It's his bride. So what are some signs of a healthy family? What are some signs of a healthy uh, uh, church? And he, he's going to give some bullet points. We're only going to look at a, a couple of them. First is church leadership. Well, he tells, he tells them here, uh, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Uh, he's speaking there, obviously, of elders. The New Testament uses various synonyms, elders, bishops, pastors, shepherds, essentially all the same, the same uh, role, the same office. Now, elders were always appointed uh, in, in the New Testament. Here, uh, here's why I say that in Acts chapter 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now the qualifications for elders are given elsewhere in the New Testament. But I, I want you to see that it was normative. There's no need to reimagine. It was normal, it was standard procedure to appoint elders when they established churches. Again, you could call them bishops, you could call them shepherds. In every local church, that was the pattern. So let's see how he describes them for the Thessalonians. First, he says they're hardworking. They labor among you. He uses a term there to describe his own work at tent making with his hands. It was hard work. Any elder, any pastor should expect and be expected to work hard. Now, spiritual uh, work is not it's rarely draining physically, but it can flat out do a number on you emotionally and spiritually because there's spiritual conflict involved. And why is hard work needed? Well, one, it is so important, and two, it is, it is so, it, there's so much of it. There's a great need for it, and it's so important, and, and there's no lack of, of need for spiritual leadership. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher in the last century from Wales, he said that anyone called to spiritual leadership, like an office in the church, is pulled from two directions, and you live with this tension. One direction is, who is adequate for these things? You know, I don't, I'm not personally adequate to do this. But the other is, the need is so great, you can't walk away from it. And he said, any person in this role of elder, pastor, shepherd, is pulled, and we live with that tension. 
seeing our personal inadequacy and yet seeing the great need that God's called us to. And he says Christian leaders are those who are over you, over you in the Lord. He uses that term there in, in verse 12. It's the idea of presiding over. It's the idea of what he says in 1 Timothy that a man must manage or be over his own household well. So elders are authority figures in and over the church. They exercise the keys to the kingdom with who to admit to membership and the sacraments and who not to. And so it makes all the difference that Paul specifies their ruling as being over you in the Lord. Now, the authority is not their own. Uh, it comes from Christ. It's to be used on behalf of his glory and his honor. And that's why Peter referred to elders as shepherds under the chief shepherd. And as such, they will give an account. Church leaders are those who admonish you or correct you. Well, that sounds harsh. You know, we talk about admonishment. That sounds like somebody really dressing you down. Well, let me give you an example, give you more of a flavor of it. A real-life example from the Apostle Paul. In, in 1 Corinthians, in his writing to that church in Corinth, uh, there's a man in the church who is involved in some kind of very immoral activity with his stepmother. And it's very publicly known. And the church is not doing anything about it. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and he says, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. It's a bad influence. And they were tolerating it, so to speak, and, and unfazed. So there's the admonishment. Put the man out of the church. Okay? Guess what happened? When he writes the second letter to the Corinthians... By that time, the man has repented. And he, uh, he's turned from what he was doing. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians as an advocate for the man. And he says, you should turn and forgive and comfort this man, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. What do we have there? That's loving admonition. That's correcting where someone's wrong, but the motivation behind it is love and compassion, not irritation. Well, what should the attitude of the local church be toward leaders? Here he mentions, one, they should accept them, that they have spiritual authority from the Lord. We should accept that. They're not dictators, but servant leaders. And appreciate them. Spiritual leadership is a great responsibility. It's a very difficult task. The spiritual battles, the pressures are many. Um, it, it's dangerous when a, a church takes their leaders for granted, and they do that by not praying for them, not uh, encouraging them. And you never know when a timely word is, is needed. Larry Crabb, Dr. Lawrence Crabb was an author. He wrote numerous books on counseling and, and so forth. When I was just graduated from college, I, I served on a church staff in South Florida, and he was one of the elders. He had only written one or two books at that time, and this was before he was known so well. He had a, he had a, uh, a private counseling practice in that city, and he was an elder at this church. And he was a, 
excellent, excellent preacher. The pastor would say that whenever he left and Larry Crabb would preach at the church, the church would grow by 5%. But he grew up in a Plymouth Brethren background. We don't have, I don't know if we have hardly any Brethren churches in the southeast, or at least not here in Macon. But they have a lot of them in the Midwest. And he grew up in a Plymouth Brethren background. If you're familiar with the, the Brethren churches, uh, young men in the congregation from an early age are encouraged to help uh, lead in public worship, like to pray. They'd have a time of prayer in different the young men, they would encourage that kind of thing. And, and then that they would begin to preach as young men. And they, they, they cherish that. So that's, a, that's one of the marks of their denomination. They're, so Larry Crabb describes how he not only had a stuttering problem, a bad stuttering problem when he was young, he was at church one day and it was that time when the young men in the service like this would be encouraged to stand and pray. And he writes in one of his books that thinking I was feeling the, uh, the movement of the Holy Spirit when in reality it was the pressure of the saints, he said, I stood up and began my first public prayer. He said, not only was I stuttering throughout, I was praying heresy. I thank the Father for hanging on the cross to die for our sins. I thank the Son for sending the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead. He, he said, my mind was just going, I was so nervous. And he said, I sat down. He said, finally, the only evidence of the Spirit's leading was I said, amen. And I sat down and I stared at the floor and I vowed I will never speak in public again. The service ended and he said he took off, made a beeline to the exit. And an older man in the congregation, whose name was Jim Dunbar, stopped him before he could leave the building and said, Larry, I want you to know something. I don't know what God's plans are for you, but whatever you do, I'm behind you 1,000%. And he said, that man spoke words of life to me, and my resolve never to speak again immediately weakened. Why? A timely word. And you, you don't know when that elder or shepherd or the person that's worked hard to teach your class or, um, uh, or makes a difficult decision, you don't know when a word might be, you know, I'm grateful for your influence. I'm grateful for your leadership. I'm grateful for your input. You just don't know what that person may be sensing at that very moment. So appreciate, love them. It's interesting here, there's a dynamic, because he says they are over us, uh, and yet at the same time, they are under. So to be among and over is a tension. If you're just buddy-buddies, there typically won't be any instruction. If it's just some kind of admonition, it can appear dictatorial. So it's a balance there that they are over us and yet among us at the same time with local leadership. And then Hebrews says to obey them. It doesn't mean every spiritual leader is right in everything, but to trust that God may be leading here and to walk by faith that God is leading. Now, this gets really sticky today. Um, what do we mean by this? Obey church leaders? Is this some kind of cult? What are you talking about? 
Should I go to them with all my decisions before I do anything and ask their consent? No, that's not what I'm saying. Let me give you a few examples, real examples. Not made up examples, I guess if you, I have to be careful, this, this really happened as though everything else I said didn't. There are five questions if you wanna join a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Like if you said, I want to become a member of this church, you would be asked five questions before some elders. The first three deal with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And do you recognize your sin and the need for a savior and are you trusting Christ? The last two though, get into this area of leadership. Here's what they say. Question number four, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Number five, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? All right, what do we mean by that? Well, here, here's, let me give you some examples. A number of years ago, there was a young man here, married, family, and he was really growing in Christ, and he liked to teach in the adult Sunday school classes. And he was trained in a, another field. He, he uh, worked uh, uh, in his profession nearby, and he came and talked to the leadership, said, I want to uproot my family and move to a seminary and go to seminary and be equipped for vocational ministry. Back then there wasn't online learning, so you had to relocate if you were going to do this. And he said, I, I, I want to go, I, I want your affirmation. And, uh, pardon me, <coughs> I don't recall that happening before up here. It's all right, I don't have anything. Okay, I'm all right. besides a horse voice. <clears throat> so he said, I, I would like your, your, your blessing. One reason, because the church supported financially. We still do, we have scholarship funds for members and going to seminary. Well, some of the elders uh, knew him and had heard him teach and they said, uh-uh, we can't endorse you. And they were specific, said you, you, there's a negativity in your demeanor and a dogmatism the way you teach that's just, you need to work on this. Well, I don't know about you or me, but some people would say, well, that's your opinion, get over it, I'm gone. But he didn't. He said, okay, I'll take that as a word from the Lord, I'll stay here. And they said, if you stay here, we'll work with you on these areas. And they did. And I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was at least a year, maybe two years later, he said, I still wanna go. And the very elders who had been personally involved were the first to say, we recommend this guy 100%. They had seen the change that took place. And then he went on with his plans and relocated and, and did that. Now that's an example uh, where you get an obedience and a respect there and seeking, you know, that I, this isn't just my decision, but I, I need to know that God's leading me. Here's another example. Here's a book entitled Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible, uh, written by Jay Adams. Now, this book was written in light of a case that I'm going to tell you about that took place in this church. Many, many years ago, um, a, a uh, middle-aged couple, uh, both had divorces in their background. I, I know nothing of the circumstances. And they came to the church leadership 
and said they were both now in the church and they said we want to get married but we need guidance given our backgrounds because we both have divorces in our background now today people probably some of you may be thinking what what difference does that make well it makes a difference and historically it made a huge difference so they said we want your counsel and if you say we shouldn't get married we won't that's a big pill to swallow so they the elders delved into this including Jay Adams who was living here and out of that an intensive study of what does the Bible say about marriage and divorce and especially remarriage and as a result of that the session said y'all y'all have a green light and so they married and uh, that book it doesn't talk about their case but about the principles involved that's the second example now when it asks the question the membership question do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability participation is following the church leadership if the church leadership says we, we want to call for a, a day of fasting and prayer then i would say okay i'm going to follow your leadership and do this if the church leadership says we're going to go in this direction over the next year it's going to have this emphasis we prayed about it we saw this is the reasons this is the biblical reasons this is the rationale behind it and and rather than saying well what do i think about it if i don't like it i won't do it it's like okay i'm going to trust that god's leading in that direction prayer for the ministry is following speaking in support is following financial support I've mentioned before, and I think only I should mention this as the pastor, but Barbara and I, the first 10% of, of what I make goes to the ministry of this church. It, it, is that have to happen? No. I think, you know, could some of that tithe be directed elsewhere? Yes, but we want to know we are 100% committed to this work and that we are following the leadership. And the budget reflects the direction the leaders think we ought to go. So let me close with reading you this description of the church by John MacArthur. I found this engaging. The church, this is what he writes, the church is the most blessed institution on earth. The only one built by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the only institution he promised to externally bless, eternally bless, and the one about which he declared the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. For these reasons, in response to our relationship through faith with Jesus himself, Christians should treasure the church, pray for the church, and bind together in the church for worship and work that is designed by God to bring glory to Christ and the gospel of salvation to the world.